Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. To the Explaining History podcast, and today we're going to look at Stalinist deportation and exile in uh, the 1930s uh, in the Soviet Union. Now, of course, in Russia, deportation and exile were no- nothing new now, after 1917. These had been tools employed by the Tsarist regime, and Lenin saw no reason why they shouldn't be uh, used by the Bolsheviks after they seized power. Uh, Lenin, in his book State and Revolution, written in 1917, um, argued that the state would need to retain its repressive power. Lenin had been responding to arguments by Nikolai Bukharin that the state would need to be dissolved in the interests of um, the working classes and the interests of... um, working towards a uh, communist future in Russia, uh, and that the state was really a, a mechanism by which uh, repression, uh, class repression, could be uh, effectively doled out. And Lenin said, yes, it is, but we need to do a different kind of class repression. We need to repress enemy classes, and the revolution won't be easy, it won't be simple, and there will be all manner of individuals trying to undo the state, uh, trying to do the, undo the new Bolshevik state. So we need to retain as much of the uh, apparatus of repression as possible. And, and one of the most potent apparat- uh, tools of repression was administrative exile. Exile was used for uh, members of the left opposition, the likes of Leon Trotsky, Um, people with um, bad class origins, uh, former landowners, um, and the uh, counter-revolutionary classes that we've talked about recently. But by far the biggest group who faced um, exile were the Kulaks. The Kulaks in the mass deportations of 1930 to 1931 uh, were removed in huge numbers, some 400,000 households, or roughly uh, just over 2 million individuals, were uprooted uh, and moved out of uh, Ukraine and parts of uh, rural Russia. But as ever, 
defining who the Kulaks were and um, who should be uh, identified and uh, targeted for removal was uh, quite difficult. Uh, well, it was quite difficult if you cared enough about actually arresting the right people uh, in the arbitrary way, way that it was actually carried out. It wasn't much of an issue uh, at all for the Soviet regime. The Kulaks were regarded by the regime as class exploiters in the countryside. They had been the product of Stolypin's land reforms in the first decade of the 20th century, and they were often the product of their, their wealth, uh, was often the product of um, a better education, um, of uh, better understandings of farming practices, uh, harder work and less drinking. Now, to refer to it as wealth as well is to rather misunderstand the situation. They rarely did Kulaks stand out in a village as being um, significantly wealthy. There were those who were mildly more prosperous than their, their neighbours and had a, a, a bit more land. Uh, those who had managed to acquire land during the revolution by seizing uh, landlord estates were waiting during the era of the provisional government and also the, the era of the Bolsheviks for the government to give the nod to authorise, to make legal this land acquisition because they were well aware that uh, in the past when lands have been seized they can always be handed back to the landowners. So the Kulaks were often uh, not the reviled figures in the villages that the regime tried to present them as but um, often highly useful people to know, people who could lend money, um, who could uh, supply work, people who had surpluses of food in times of dearth, and people who simply um, represented part of the kind of the, the village ecosystem. There was uh, a great deal of political capital, uh, the Bolsheviks knew, in appealing to the poor peasants in villages and whipping up hatred against the Kulaks. Uh, and there was a, an attempt to really create a kind of a, a grassroots movement uh, against the Kulaks uh, during the period of the Great Famines. So the added complication was that often um, the uh, person who was the Kulak in the village changed. People's uh, fortunes differed. Um, people, uh, some families became wealthier, some became poorer, particularly as a result of the revolution. In uh, 1929, Stalin uh, commences the de-Kulakization campaign, um, where he called for the liquidization of the Kulaks as a class. Now today, of course, we're looking at Sheila Fitzpatrick uh, and everyday Stalinism. Um, she writes, Peasants identified as Kulaks were stripped of their land, animals and equipment and evicted from their homes. Many of the victims were deported to distant regions of the country by the OGPU. Formal criteria rarely counted for anything. What mattered was who local officials and the incoming collectivisation activists thought was a Kulak. The activists would come from towns and cities and be um, par party members. It was who they assumed was a Kulak. Often this meant prosperous peasants, especially those who had been village leaders not particularly well disposed towards Soviet power. But troublemakers of all kinds were also greatly at risk. Someone who was unpopular in the village, for whatever reason, might find himself branded a kulak. 
where villages were ethnically or religiously divided, for example, between Russians and Ukrainians or Orthodox and Old Believers, one ethnic or religious group might manage to pin the Kulak label on the other. So, often when repressive state power meets the complexities of social relations, that power can be subverted, abused, manipulated and co-opted by individuals to their own ends. Uh, as we've seen in looking at Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union, denunciations uh, often serve private purposes. Um, wives getting rid of errant husbands and people taking revenge uh, for uh, slights in the workplace uh, with um, terrifying consequences. So um, the Kulak label was a powerful weapon to wield against people that um, a, a Russian peasant didn't like. Um, uh, Sheila Fitzpatrick points out that even communists were uh, uneasy with the uh, growth in the category of Kulak during uh, de-Kulakization. Uh, it was uh, unsystematic. It, there were uh, far more people being dumped into the title of Kulak than could possibly actually uh, justifiably have been Kulaks based on Bolshevik logic alone. And the uh, new categories began to be made, such as Kulaks hireling, uh, which described a person uh, who deserved a kulak's fate, but couldn't quite be referred to as a kulak in economic terms. When uh, de-kulakization had taken place, when people were uh, removed from, from their kulak status, they had their wealth taken from them, they had their status taken from them and their citizenship, the uh, word kulak was not uh, taken it was something that would follow them around for the rest of their lives. Uh, they would be referred to as a former Kulak. Um, and this term was something that aroused suspicion and animosity in uh, party members and Soviet citizens in general. Um, it had become easier to identify Kulaks um, by giving them this title, those that had been through the process of being accused of Kulak, being Kulaks and then have being, um, having their uh, wealth um, appropriated from them. Um, in another way, um, it was more difficult because many peasants potentially in the Kulak group had run away rather than wait to be uh, arrested. So those who were identified, those who had been arrested and had been deported and had been labelled as Kulaks, and had been uh, then labelled as former Kulaks, they could be identified and stigmatised for life. But the process of de-Kulakisation made so many peasants um, try to escape their fate and try to run away and hide, that actually identifying those was entirely, uh, was highly difficult. Sheila Fitzpatrick writes, These people were now in the process of masking themselves and assuming new social identities. That was why it was so vital to the regime to identify and expel them in the process of introducing passports in the cities. But of course, many hidden Kulaks, even more children and even more children of Kulaks, who might be expected to share their parents' bitterness, still eluded the authorities. New stigmas fell on the deportees um, who were sent to the far north, to the Arctic, uh, to the Ural Mountains, to Siberia and the Far East. 
um, and were sent either as labourers on uh, sites such as Magnitogorsk, which was a little more than a, a tent city um, initially, or were sent as uh, cultiv- um, as peasants to work on uncultivated land in Siberia, uh, the kind of uh, land clearance um, where normally the land was wholly unsuitable to the kind of farming the peasants knew um, and would later be rolled out under Khrushchev and, and in a far greater way as the, the kind of the Virgin Lands campaign uh, with fairly dismal results. Um, deportation was not a judicial sentence, it was an administrative punishment. And so that meant that um, no court convicted the Kulaks. Um, there were, uh, it was simply the kind of the whim of, of government policy that people were moved because they were seen as bad. Um, and it was an executive action in the defence of society. Uh, this is the way it, it's framed. And the reason um, why this is problematic, particularly in the Soviet Union, is because is that there is no start and end date. With a prison sentence, there is some indication that the sentence will end. Though in point of fact... The Soviet prison system and the gulag system during the 1920s and 30s is so chaotic. There are some prisoners who um, their release dates are simply forgotten uh, and they are set to work uh, permanently. Kulaks kulaks who were uh, deported uh, existed in a kind of a legal black hole. They existed as an entirely separate part of the population. that were not convicted of any crime, but certainly uh, experienced a loss of rights and had special conditions placed upon them. They were initially referred to as special settlers, which was later changed to the term uh, labour settler, which was uh, far more uh, descriptive of what they were actually being sent away to to do. Um... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. In a couple of years, the uh, Kulaks were joined by uh, other groups 
who had been released from the Gulag. They had served their sentence in the Gulag and that they, they were not allowed to return home. They were sent to, in, into exile uh, where the state could keep an eye on them and potentially rearrest them if necessary. These were often um, former uh, enemy classes, former landlords, um, capitalist um, uh, business owners from prior to the revolution, um, and who the um, uh, OGPU uh, did not wish to return to their, their hometowns. In a way, one of the key reasons for that was to control knowledge of the Gulag, um, to uh, keep those who did experienced it uh, in one place uh, and as far away from the mainstream of Russian society as possible. The term of exile had no limitation. Um, there was some confusion uh, about what the regime actually intended on this. The regime itself didn't quite know uh, about how long the Kulak should be sent away. Deportees um, were not issued with passports when, the, uh, when internal passports are uh, introduced. Um, a government decree of 1934 returned um, civil rights to them, including the right to vote, um, and, but these were only referred, uh, returned to those who demonstrated um, their ability to be worthy through what was referred to as socially useful labour. Um, civil rights um, included normally the right to mobility, but in January 1935, at the uh, request of Yagoda, um, the uh, head of the NKVD, Stalin uh, refer refused to grant this to the uh, deported Kulaks. So the deported Kulaks were unable to move from where they had been sent to. Um, a public clarification on this question, writes Sheila Fitzpatrick, a week later. Even so, there were hints at a Kolkhoz Congress uh, in the spring that at least one party leader remained doubtful. Despite this, deportees still hoped to return home. When the new constitution of 1936 was announced, many read it as an amnesty and petitioned for release, but in vain. Many others fled from exile over the years, more than 600,000 between 1932 and 1940, according to the Russian historian uh, to a Russian historian, of whom two-thirds, over 400,000, were successful. The number of deported Kulaks and family members still living in exile as of October the 1st, 1941, was under 900,000. During World War II, there were further departures. Many of the male deportees were called up for military service, which generally meant that their family exile was lifted. It was not until after Stalin's death that all the Kulaks deported more than 20 years earlier were formally released. Kulaks lived in special settlements. Um, those who worked in industry, which was about half of them, um, had conditions that were not particularly different from um, the, those who were considered to be free labour. Um, not that that was uh, particularly worth um, writing home about, um, as uh, working conditions across the Soviet Union during the 1930s are fairly bad uh, in the best of circumstances. Um, the exiles, however, are ineligible to join trade unions. Um, and in 1938, um, the NKVD, as it was then, taking it from the OGPU, uh, took 5% of wages uh, from wage-earning exiles 
in order to pay for the cost of their exile for administering it. And obviously there's a, a great deal of corruption and graft and embezzlement as a result. Um, the deported Kulaks did get their right to vote back, uh, but this was subject to good behaviour. And at the beginning uh, of 1935, this was confirmed, but the Kulaks were under no illusions that really um, this could be removed at any time and it really did depend on um, how they voted um, and who they voted for. Until 1938, the children of special settlers uh, shared some of the restrictions that were placed upon uh, their parents, particularly as it regarded to freedom of movement. They did have a right to education um, and they were accepted for admission to higher educational institutions outside their place of settlement. Um, they were, could in theory be issued with passports and allowed to leave, uh, at which point they ceased to belong to the category of special settlers. Um, from autumn of 1938 onwards, all children of special settlers became eligible for passports at the age of 16 and were then free to leave the settlement. This uh, obviously has a significant impact in breaking up what the, uh, the, the, the Kulak family, um, often children who left the special settlements never returned or didn't see their families again. Um, as we know, the majority of special settlers who were deported uh, were Kulaks, but there were other collective deportations, but um, on a smaller scale. The ethnic deportations that began uh, in the middle of the 1930s and the Leningrad deportations that followed the murder of uh, Kirov um, in December 1934 are two particular examples of that. So let's talk about the ethnic deportations. The uh, ethnic deportations uh, were a kind of a, a, an outlier in Soviet policy. Stalin, as a commissar for nationalities, uh, and Lenin before him, had um, attempted to present the Soviet regime as one that uh, believed in decentralisation, believed in uh, the aspirations of nationalities to um, become self-governing, and the um, uh, national identity of uh, everywhere from Georgia to uh, Ukraine uh, to uh, Kazakhstan um, to Belarus, um, all these um, ethnicities were encouraged to kind of assert themselves as national identities. Um, and the uh, diaspora peoples of the Soviet Union, the Finns, the uh, Koreans, um, were treated as, as uh, prime targets for deportation, uh, highly suspect in the eyes of Stalin, and were far more likely to face um, transportation um, in order to actually break up national identity, to break up uh, ethnic unity, to break up ethnic co cohesion and, and uh, national politics. They were transported uh, in much the same way as the Kulaks were uh, and resettled in the interior. Uh, ethnic deportations um, foreshadowed uh, more, um, more high-profile 
uh, ones during the war, such as the sort of Volga Germans or the the Chechens, and uh, and the deportations were largely unpublicized within the Soviet Union. Um, but the practice of ethnic deportation was uh, known well enough, um, at least in the Leningrad region, uh, for and this is from Fitzpatrick. For a man with a Finnish name to refuse to respond to a census taker in 1939 with the comment, I know why you were taking a census of the population. This is done in order to find out uh, the Finns from the Estonians and then deport them. Following the assassination of Kirov um, in 1934, the uh, majority of those uh, arrested and deported were the former people, the former aristocracy the former bourgeoisie, the former czarist administrators um, who had survived the revolution and managed to hang on in Leningrad um, bit by bit. Um, it was used as a great opportunity to round up uh, and uh, all those who hadn't already been caught by the kind of the, uh, the dragnet of uh, totalitarian power in the Soviet Union uh, and deport them. Fitzpatrick writes... Both, both these categories were held to have some responsibility for the murder. Indeed, a number of oppositionists were executed for the crime, including Zinoviev and Kamenev, in the first Moscow trials of 1936, although there is no concrete evidence of their involvement, and it is even possible that the timing of the deportations was partly coincidental. The decision to send 2,000 former communists from Leningrad into provincial exile was presented in internal documents as an outcome of the recent party purge. The exile of over a thousand Leningrad former people was described in a brief official announcement as a punishment for violating residence regulations and the passport law. The popular conclusion of the action, however, was that it was a case of rounding up the usual suspects after Kirov's murder. It was even rumoured that the NKVD had compiled its list from the Leningrad city directory, in whose pre-revolutionary volumes well-worn citizens had habitually identified themselves by estate and service rank. She concludes by saying, Among those expelled from Leningrad were former Baron Tipolt, who had got himself a job in an industrial meal service as an accountant, General Tufasev, who was a teacher of geography, and former police chief Komendatov, who was a, techni a technician at a factory, and General Spassky, who was a cigarette seller in a kiosk. But some less exalted individuals got pulled into the net, uh, the man who'd worked as a scribe in the Tsarist Ministry of Justice, whose deportation order was cancelled only after four years of petitioning. So the use of deportation as a tool, um, which was used to target political, uh, particular political um, dissidents under the Tsarist regime, becomes a, uh, a mass social tool a way of the regime waging class warfare against the Kulaks and also socially cleansing, socially purging cities like Leningrad um, and uh, of uh, waging uh, warfare uh, against uh, what Stalin viewed as kind of dangerous um, uh, revisionist uh, ethnic separatism. Okay, thanks very much for listening and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Do pop by our Patreon page if you can help uh, fund the podcast. Obviously, we're reliant on a trickle of ad revenue and um, the generosity of our listeners.
Thanks very much, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. All the best. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.